Hello, we've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 2, Episode 1. We've in fact made it to Book 2, The Avatar State. Today on my panel I have Corey. Greetings. And Charles. Hello. So, first things first, I want to welcome everyone back. I know we had a little bit of a hiatus after the end of book one, but we are ready to move on into book two. Uh, Unfortunately, we had a little bit of audio issues on our book one rap show. So, I'm still hoping to get that out and get that fixed, um, but look for that at some point. Uh, I will hopefully uh, try and fix the audio, but if not, I will do something else. But we're just going to push forward with uh, book two. So just before we start uh, book two, uh, the episode discussion for book two, I want to just talk a little bit about everyone's thoughts on book two of Avatar as a whole. I mean, obviously, we haven't watched uh, it in its entirety in a long time. So, you know, you're not going to remember everything. But just in general, like initial thoughts, what do you guys think about book two of The Last Airbender? So, Corey, why don't you start us off? I believe you and I, you know, spoke about it on one of our runs. And I I think you summed it up really well that book one is... Um, the sum of the entire season uh, is better than it did individual episodes, and I think it's the kind of the reverse on book two, where there's a lot of strong individual episodes, but thematically as a whole, it's not as strong as like a, a full season, and that's not a hindrance towards it. It's just a statement. Um, so overall, I, I really do like the the building uh, on book two that it did onto book one. Uh, Azula is phenomenal. I like. Um, you know, exile like completely exiled Prince Zuko. Um, so um, there, it's not my favorite, but it's definitely strong, and it continues the series well. Mm-hmm. Charles, how about you? Yeah, I've got generally the same opinion. Um, thinking on it, there's a lot of individual scenes and moments from Book Two that stand out way more clearly in my mind than some of the stuff from Book One. Definitely, some of the stuff from Book Three. Um, at the same time, though, it's it's like book one was a lot about telling two sets of stories. Like you've got Team Avatar, and then break that up into episodes for each individual character, and then. Um, but I maybe it's just me, but I feel like when they added in Azula, um, she was so compelling as a villain, as a character, that like part of the balance they had in book one with it just being uh, basically Zuko's story and then Team Avatar's story was like, now we've got episodes focused on Azula and the Dai Li and the, the, there's, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Again, yeah. like I, I like the book overall. There's a lot of individual episodes I thought were really fun and great to watch, but it just eh. as a whole, it's not quite as good as each individual episode on average yeah i definitely agree with what what the both of you guys said i look at this and before i watched uh book three of uh legend of korra and we will talk about that in a long time when we talk about legend of korra but i I thought book two was probably the highest quality uh episode by episode season of television i'd ever seen um there are just the episodes on a whole are really really good there are several episodes i can just immediately think of and go yeah that was a great episode whether it's blind bandit or city of walls and secrets or zuko alone all of which are just great episodes all on their own that being said i I agree with them that i don't think there's a particularly good overarching story um it can be a little bit unfocused and jump a little bit from what what we want to focus on in this episode book one was very much okay we are introducing these characters we're introducing this world and Katara and Sokka are on their way to the North Pole and if we have detours they're mostly detours on at least trying to serve that or they're there to show the character of Aang not wanting to do his job essentially I mean obviously we talk about all the time this book on the other hand has you know we start out with you know, one story about going to Hamashu, then it's finding an earthbending teacher, then it's learning earthbending, then it's, oh, we found out this information, we need to get to the Earth King, then it's the Bossing Say stuff. There's, there's a lot of, like, mini stories, and I don't know if they gel together all that well. That being said, I mean, we're going to be going through these episodes, so we'll talk about this much more when we get to the end of the book. I just wanted to give a quick uh, sort of opening salvo, you know, as we get to the whole book and just kind of put that into perspective. So 
With that, let's get into our episode discussion. And like per usual, we will start with our initial thoughts on this episode. Uh, so this will be the episode Avatar State. Uh, Charles, you went second last time, so why don't you start us off episode discussion? Um. Uh, yep. I, if if I could, <laughs> if I could take the uh the fire. Nation family, the royal family, part of this episode, and read it separately. It'd be pretty, pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, yes, it'd be, it would. It'd be really good, honestly. But um, I okay. So when when I was a kid, uh, I had like very little issue with um, the way they treat the Avatar state in this episode. Like I didn't really mind it. Not like a young teenager. I didn't really mind it. It was like, okay, uh, he doesn't want to do it. He's obviously, like, conflicted about it. And, um, you know, they they made the, like, forcing it... The, the way they made forcing it was, like, so heavy-handedly evil uh, that, you know, as a kid, you don't think about those things. Like, what is the... You know, what's the director trying to do? You just think about it in the context mm-hmm. of the show, but... Now, looking at it from a critical perspective, it's like, well, it's it's like too black and white. There's definitely pros and cons to using the Avatar state, um, mm-hmm. and none of the prior incarnations shy w- away with it. That's how, or it's implied. So that's how uh, uh, Kyoshi separated the islands. Roku was combating uh, volcanoes and how Aang resolves disputes in the later part of his life. So... Mm-hmm. And, and and here it's like... And it, oh God, like, it, go, it goes through the rest of the book too, right? Because there's the other episode with the chakras. Yeah, the guru. Yeah, where... I mean, that's like a great thematic episode, but it's like... it's, it's It makes it seem like the Avatar State is something so bad. Like, inherently... You're so anti Aang, but then you come to realize later on that every it is it is a part of that character and something you can't just throw away or ignore or say no, it's not something I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, the, the the dream sequence stuff, I guess, is necessary because it shows you just how traumatized, distraught Aang is, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know, yeah. I, I wish they had used, like, a lighter hand, I guess is the other way, there, there's, like, less direct ways of showing that someone is, uh, not happy or, like, uh, traumatized or has PTSD about an event or an idea or a concept, so it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, he's got nightmares constantly about this, I don't know. Someone yeah. else say something. <laughs> yeah, Charles, uh, Corey, why don't you, uh, why don't you go ahead? Is this episode a mixed bag? Yes, but ultimately, when I really, after I watch the episode, think about it, I think it's more positive than negative. Uh, I think it's the perfect introduction to Azula. It shows everything you need to know about Azula: how she's a perfectionist, how she's ruthless. How she's spoiled, how she's a daddy's girl, how every everything you need to know about Azula is introduced in one episode. And you see her entire range of emotion, except for the extent of how crazy she actually could be. Uh, you, you do end up seeing that eventually. Um, is the concept that they need to rush to force Av- uh, Aang into the Avatar state to end the war immediately a, uh, a weird concept? No. It makes, I think it actually makes sense. The, the like... First off, it's interesting just to think about in general how I could I could see why these an Earth King leader would want to end the war as quickly as possible, and even Aang addressed it like it's to save lives, and should I do it to save lives? Um, uh, but then I also see the other side of the coin where the Avatar state is extremely dangerous and uncontrollable, and it's a it's a Pandora's box. But the, my issue is at the end of the episode when he just gets the voiceover from Roku pretty much saying, oh, by the way, this is the Avatar state. If you die in the Avatar state, you're dead in real life. 
If Aang knew that already, this episode changes a lot for the better. But the fact is, you don't really know anything about the stakes of the Avatar state other than Aang is uncontrollable in it. So, like, it actually also trying to make... Then, like, in this point, it makes sense because, obviously, you'd want there to be training to control the Avatar state if that was possible. So, it, that's why, like, I, I see that side of the coin. Ultimately, in the end, you, you find out what truly happens, but that's why I thought that was a little off. But, um, ultimately, I don't think it's a bad episode by any stretch. I think it could carry the momentum from last season pretty well. Could it have been a perfect episode yeah there's a lot of things I could change you could change in it but ultimately it was serviceable and it, it did what it needed to do mm-hmm. um, I, I look at the episode in a couple of ways first I, it's kind of weird I feel like this episode is almost like the exact opposite of filler in that it's almost like incredibly necessary for the plot but very expositional and kind of like, okay, this is just an episode that's here. We need it. We need to explain the Avatar state. We'll put in a little bit of a plot to, to get us there. Great. And it does that, and it does that well. And I think that that's, you know, you, you can keep that in mind. Um, I agree with Charles and Corey that the, the Fire Nation side and Azula side is extremely well done. And it reminds me a lot of what Charles and I had a lot of problems with the Kyoshi episode where it's like, okay, there's one portion of the episode that's really phenomenal, the Sokka stuff, and then the Yang stuff is kind of mediocre. And I think that that's true here. Um, there are several things about this episode that really actually get to me about the Yang side. First of all, and we'll talk about it once we get to it, but I just think that there's some misplaced humor. I think that the moral ambiguity is, or there should be moral complexity in this episode, and it starts off really morally complex, and then it comes off way too black and white, as Charles said. I I really agree with what he, the way he had said that. And I think that there, there are just some things about this episode that, that really kind of, I feel like could have been truly spectacular and just fall completely flat. And overall, yeah, I think there there's more good than bad. I think the Azula stuff is, you know, really spectacular. Um, but we'll talk about the, the things I, I have some issues with. So uh, Charles mentioned a little bit about the dreams. Um, I, I read it and I thought to myself, it, it, it might come off a little over. Like, I understand why they're trying to do it and they want to sort of put Aang's mental state and why he's sort of you know, uneasy about the Avatar state and he's uneasy about, you know, the fact that he's got this incredible power that can, in fact, hurt people and that's very against Aang's personality. So I under I understand that and we know that Aang does have these these dreams, but it does feel a little like self serving of the episode that's like, okay, he's having these dreams. I don't know. It's weird because obviously this is the first episode of the book, so there's no real there'd be no time for this, but I almost feel like these dreams would be a lot better if they were like in an episode or two earlier than this, and then this is the episode where they kind of come to fruition. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. It just felt a little bit like, well, this is an episode about the Avatar State, so we're going to do an opening where Aang has a dream about the Avatar State. That felt a little like... I completely disagree on that. I think Aang turned into a giant spirit monster at the end of the last episode, and this episode completely steps from last episode there was no time between the episodes so it makes perfect sense to me how we'd be having nightmares about him becoming a giant uncontrollable avatar state being especially right after it happened yes and that's why it's weird because of the timing of all this where like it makes sense like thematically why it's this order but i i don't know it just I, i there's something about it that feels a little bit like well, here, you know, okay, well, this is what this episode's going to be about. I don't know. It, it almost feels a little bit too convenient. That's like, oh, well, now, of course, now they run into the... And I know technically it, it does make sense because the the general hears about this story and then he gets there and that's why it, it does make sense that it's immediate. But, like, I don't know. There's yeah, something I mean, just about this, it that this, feels... They, he he could have wiped out, and I think he did, actually... In the, he just wiped out an entire Fire Nation invasion fleet in the Avatar mm-hmm. state. Like, this makes perfect yeah. sense to me why they would want to weaponize this immediately to end the war. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's not It's not that big a deal. It just is a little off-putting to me. Um, the other question I want to ask, because you have... So once we once we get on the boat and we kind of have the, the little conversation that, that wraps up book one... Um, I mean, obviously, timing is weird. Do you think that this would have fit a little bit better at the end of the last episode? 
Oh, you mean the opening? Mm. Like the the conversation with Paku, because it's that 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 is a, entirely a let's wrap book one up, let's kind of put a pin in the the things that happen at the end, and you know, Katara, you're gonna you're gonna teach gang waterbending. We're gonna go to the Southern Tribe. It, it's like it's very much the end of book one, and then we move into book two. And this, like, I don't know, this scene, it, it, I think it works here, actually. I, like, I actually think it works really well because it, it ties the books together really well. But I'm just curious if you guys think that it would have fit better at the end of the finale, or do you think it fits better here? I think it's fine here. Um, I think it does its job in establishing that this is literally no time has been between episodes, more or less. So I think it's, it's a nice, A, callback. Because, you know, there, uh, between seasons there has been a break. And B, it establishes to the viewer that, oh, nothing, no, no time has passed. Yeah. Um, I, I'll look at it from a less positive side and say that given how strong we, we felt about the finale, I don't think you could have put reasonably put this anywhere in there without... It breaking up the flow of that episode somewhat. I mean, it would have had to have been the ver- the very very end, like lengthen the episode by. Like, but the thing is, you but here's the thing: you don't necessarily have to make have the scene be exactly the same. I mean, the fact that they're on the boat sailing away. I mean, it, they they do have like at the end of the book, there is like a little bit of an ending. I don't know. I guess it's. I mean, I said it's fine where it is. So I guess it's fine where it is. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, uh, yeah, as Corey said, yeah, it it works to introduce uh, to force. You know, show the fact that nothing, no time has passed. It's like we ended a season, and then time jumped a few years, which is yeah. actually really common in animated shows if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a ni- another very small, but I actually think very nice touch is that Paku refers to Boomy by name, and I think that there's like the fact that we do know in the end they're both part of the White Lotus. I think it's like a kind of like tiny little bit of like okay, it, it, it's. Because it's kind of odd that he like refer like Paku and Boomy should have no reason to know each other, but he just says, "Oh, you're gonna go. You'll there. You'll find. You'll begin your Earth getting king with King Boomy." Like it seems, it seems like Paku knows who that is. And I think that's like a nice bit of like, oh yeah, they 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 are old people, and all old people do know each other. It's it's the Illuminati. So, so it, <laughs> would that's be true. Pretty, it is. Lins would be all. Would be all uh, all conspiracy theory here. Um, so we get to the the Fire Nation colony, and I I really like this scene. Um, I think one, it's got a really nice contrast that like you're now like in a Fire Nation colony. There's really not war going on here. It's it's very peaceful and and serene, and um, like that that feels like that feels really good. That being said, I have absolutely no idea how Zuko and Iroh. Iroh made it to a Fire Nation colony, but, you know, whatever. They, 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 they figured it out. He actually said Wait. it when he was getting a massage. They almost got eaten. It was They were, like, stranded at sea. <laughs> he just said they were stranded at sea. That did not explain how they made it to a Fire Nation colony. They could do it. Why not? No, nah, it's that uh, when Zuko went to sleep, Iroh just, like, used firebending fire as a propulsion system for their little rafts yeah. and that's there you that go. Makes that, that, would, I, that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. You're right. All right. I mean, it's not a big deal. It just I was like to myself, like they're like very clearly not in the North Pole or anywhere really near it. Like this seems warm. Yeah. Um. But it, it's it's a nice and it, it sort of to, to I think it, it felt like very sort of similar to the the last scene with with Ang and or with the gang where it's once again like tying the book together. This is where Zuko is coming out of the finale, and then obviously things are going to change pretty pretty massively um, once once we get here. Um, and then then we get Azula's. I mean, technically she was introduced a little bit last season, but this is really where she's introduced, and I, I think everyone will kind of agree. Like just just an outstanding initial character introduction. Um, there's just so much visual storytelling going on. You've got the you know the the guards bowing down, her being carried down on the palanquin. Um, it just it, it looks so royal and totalitarian and strong and the comparison to Zuko on his ship when we first were introduced to him last book where yes he's you know a prince and he's on a ship but because he's banished it's a it's a completely different world and I think that that was just 
you know, immediately apparent. And then as soon as she gets out, like everything about her, she's just so ruthless and, and incredible. And she's just, she's such a great character. I love this introduction. As I, I, I'm telling you, this entire, the reason I give this episode, you know what? If you take Azula out of the episode completely, maybe you're right. It, it falls average to below average. But I think Azula brings this episode really above average. Like this introduction mm -hmm. was amazing. Like the, the speech, the monologue she gave to the captain when the captain said that they couldn't dock was just like, Oh yeah. It was cold. It was stone cold. It was, and like, it's so funny. Cause like a later version of Azula, maybe like in book three, probably would have just already without even responding, thrown him off the ship and or probably like made him drown. But like this version was a lot more like, contained a little bit it was very cool to see i mean not not only that the other i also have to give them a ton of credit like when because the line there that you referred to and i i love this i love that line then maybe you should worry less about the tides who have already made up their minds about killing you and worry more about me who's still mulling it over it's also just incredible to me that this is a, this is the basically the first time this character speaks and they already have her everything about her dialogue and and her personality down completely there's no like learning curve like sometimes you introduce a new character and you kind of have to give them a little while for the, the the writers to find the right voice and find exact like that is as classic and as little line as you could possibly get and it's the first thing she says which is just that is incredible like I, the writing there is 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 I'm, I'm so impressed with it right here so we get back and we get into the earth kingdom base and i mean the 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 general sucking up just so hard to the whole the whole crew, um, a little weird. And and here's the thing. So so we get in and Fong is is explaining how he wants Aang to to go into the Avatar state. And at the beginning, and when I first saw this episode, and even when I first watched it right here, I have respect for his position. Like he's got a very real point that Aang has this power. It's his job to end the war. Why aren't we doing everything in our power to harness that and go in the war? Like, it, it, if you're a general who's just purely looking at it from a, you know, from a numbers perspective, from a strategic perspective, all of that, it, it seems so simple. Get Aang in the Avatar state, he'll cut, pass through the Fire Nation army, and we'll win. And that, like, that's how you win wars. You get, you, you get your best tactic and you do it. And I think that that's really, like, that should be a really interesting question. And I think could have been a really interesting question if it was done cre um, correctly, but it's, I, I think later on it gets undercut. Because right here at the beginning, when, when, when Fong takes them out into the, into the, the yard and he, they, they, you see the, the injured soldiers walking back and, and, and he has that great line with those soldiers are the lucky ones, that they, they came back, that, you know, the casualties and just that human cost of war. And I think the show does a great, has, done a great job of showing that even cost of war and this is you know one of the more powerful moments and like this is a very powerful very like measured moment and does point to a very real point that this general has about what ang needs to do um but one we'll get to later i i think is where it becomes a problem yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> no, like it's you're right. Um, like someone needs to from talk. From an objective standpoint, um, or rather, the point uh, General Fong makes is perfectly legitimate, right? Like from a purely tactical standpoint, with no emotional investment uh, involved, that's pretty much what you would think. It it's like, hey, uh, this guy, this person has this ridiculously powerful ability that can immediately destroy, you know, country-breaking armies, um, then yeah, of course you'd want to use that to try and stem the war, end the war as quickly as possible. Uh, but it's like how they make him convey it later, that's like mm -hmm. the weak point of that. It's, yeah, I def definitely agree with that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll obviously get to it later, but it becomes, like, not just, uh, oh, you know, this is for the best for my people, for the Earth Kingdom, for the world, and more of a, I don't know, like, the way he does it is so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
I'm I'm thinking about it more. Like, are they did they actually go about it wrong? I'm actually thinking about it. How would you guys? And this is a question, obviously, both of you. How would you guys have rewritten the ends to where the general's trying to take the means? Like, he's obviously seen some shit. As you said, like you, that's why the, the opening was so powerful. You see these injured guys coming back, and that's like a classic war line. Like, they're the lucky ones. So, like, I could see him wanting to, like, force... And I, do you, like... Let, let's be honest here. He wasn't going to kill Katara. In the, and we'll talk about that later, obviously. But, like... I just don't know how else you can convey he's willing to do anything he can to end the war. I I don't have a problem with him having to do any do anything to end the war. That's not my problem with all this. I just think that eventually as we get to him attacking Aang and at- eventually attacking Katara, it just it he starts to come off as like way too evil, like way too maniacal and like crazy. And I'm like, that's not... I actually would much prefer if it's... Like, if he didn't come off that way. If Because it, it at this moment, it feels like this is a very reasonable question. Should Aang go learn the elements, or should Aang try and do what he can to end the war right now? Yeah. And those are two reasonable sides. And I feel like after this moment, the episode decides to take a, take a judgment and say, Nope, Aang needs to go about this the right way. This guy's crazy. That's it. And I don't. That's what I don't but like Aang's, about it. I, Aang's, I I want the general to be more morally correct. But Aang's line before he attacked was, "I need to be in legitimate danger." You have to put up that. Fr- I, again, I don't think he was literally maniacal. If he, wa- I, I don't think he was actually gonna drown Katara in Earth. I think he needed to bring up the front that I'm gonna fucking kill you, <laughs> and like like you need us as the viewer sees it like that because that's how Aang sees it. But I think he needed to put up that front or else Aang wouldn't think he was in real danger. Yes. And, and, and we're just going to have to jump around because we're in this discussion. What, 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 what all brings this to, to the real end of being where it really it seems to be a problem is that at the end of this, clearly his army knows that this is the kind of thing they're doing. And then Sokka hits him over the head and the entire army's like, yep, you guys can leave. Clearly he was a crazy guy. Boop, boop. Like... That's the like at the end of the episode. It should have been like, it would have been mu- like okay if Ang had to like flee. If they were like, no, we need to get away from this. Like this guy's just he's gonna do whatever it takes. Fine. Or if you know, there are ways, but it seemed like once they like they, they he makes the decision of like, all right, I'm gonna attack Ang and I'm gonna attack Katara and that's gonna be how I'm gonna force Ang into the Ice Star State. And it does work. His plan is completely works. And then like. Sock hits him over the head, and his entire army, who should be loyal to their commanding officer, just doesn't even care. They're like, "Oh, yep, he was crazy. No big deal." I mean, like that's sure the ultimate the cr- ultimate end of the episode was silly, but we're we're not. That- but that shows what that shows me is that the writers, because when you I, I look at like not unnamed sort of the masses of characters that you know you get as kind of the writers showing us what the correct thing is almost like when you have non like not unnamed characters taking a very clear position that shows me that the writers are saying this is right that's wrong and that's and that bothers me because it shouldn't be right and wrong this should be one side saying i'm gonna do it one way what's best for me and i'm gonna do something else and if the episode came away with fine ang's gonna do what's best for himself he can't he's not gonna do this fine that's no big deal but there are ways to do it without making this guy come off as, as, oh, I'm just going to say as evil as he did. And then the other thing for me that really, pro- like, the even more of a problem for me in this episode is I absolutely hate everything they tried before attacking him. Uh. Like, it's weird, it's goofy, it's comedic, it just... This is, like, a really, like, kind of important moment for Aang. Like, this is a big deal, and it's like, let's throw mud at him. Which, and we've seen Aang in the Avatar state. We know what causes him to do this. Like, Sokka and Katara and Aang should kind of be like, well, great emotional distress, danger. Like, those are the things. And it's like, let's give him some, like, really, really strong tea, and that'll put him in the Avatar state. Like, that doesn't, that felt really off to me. And, like, I, 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 it seemed, I know I seem like I'm, like, consistently getting on humor i don't mind humor it's just not it, it certain times and that was not the time for just pure goofy comedic break 
But it's more about getting in the avatar state. It's about controlling the avatar state. They want to be able to turn it on and off like a switch. Yeah. And that was Which the Aang point. can do in the yeah, end. Yeah, and I think that was the point of the episode is the general is like, we need to get you to the part where you're just in it and then we could then take you to the next step of controlling it. You're, I agree with that point. My point being is that the 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 things that they try the the tea he drinks the Sokka putting Momo's head on yeah. him and the mud scene are not a those are very obviously not gonna work and b they came off as like weird and goofy and like the goofy wacky avatar fun which sometimes is great and we love it but in this specific episode where it's like Ang is finally coming to grips with the fact that he's he's been so you know it's taken so him so long and the war is raging and he hasn't done anything and it's his time to to step up and it's the first time him really accepting that responsibility and saying i'm the avatar i need to go out and do this and then it's like well of course Sokka putting momo's head in his shirt is not going to do anything it was funny <laughs> yeah that, that's not well, the time for funny yeah uh, i mean I, I don't know. It's like we've seen the Avatar state only a few times in the show so far, and really only a few times more until the end. And each time it's brought up, it's some either ridiculously like important moment to. I'll I'll make the argument that maybe the one um, the one in the finale is not necessarily danger or emotional distress, but. Uh, in last world season's distress. Finale. World distress. Yeah. Spirit distress. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Spiritual <laughs> distress. Um But Yeah, I mean I, I I'd have to agree with Mark in this one. We know the conditions basically as the audience. Uh we know that Aang, Katara and Sokka more or less know the conditions. Um the fact that none of them bring it up to uh, General Fong, and the fact that you know all of, like they try all of the stupid stuff together uh, didn't sit well with me. Um, in addition, like you can make a character do heinous things, but still make them. Uh, I think, Corey, you mentioned this last, uh, somewhere in the middle of last season, where you can make a good villain, but they can still have compelling reasons for doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, obviously, we, we don't have any background in this guy, there's still ways to make him attack Aang and attack Katar without, like, reducing him to... Like, look at his facial expressions during those scenes. Uh, there's ways to do that without making him you know, like, appear so evil, and then the the ending really, like, kills it. Oh. And him, like, screaming, it worked! It worked! Like, I don't know. That that felt, like, way too much. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I agree for, with the initial point that, that you made, Corey, that, yeah, this is probably, if someone, if you say it's distressed, this is probably how you'd go about doing it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, um... Or rather, the way they made him express while they were doing it was really odd to me. I guess it's an animation thing more than the writing thing, but still. I mean, that's part of it. It's a, I mean, you know, I 100% agree with about. both of you that the writers made their minds up for us. Um, and I... That's, that's true, of course. And it, a lot of... I've seen a lot of medians do that like the biggest example i could give you is like in marvel civil war where like there was a time where you could side with tony stark and the people that were pro registration and then the farther it went on the writers clearly took a side and that's it you're just you're evil that's it and it's frustrating but in, in this circumstance where it's a single episode and not just an overarching theme that they were doing i think it was acceptable and serviceable for what they were trying to convey yeah, I, I don't know. I just I wish they hadn't taken such a strong side and given us like 
let this one sit. But I don't know. Let's let's move on though a little bit because we'll might come back to this as we get towards the end. Um, we get uh, we get Azula's first uh, little conversation with Zuko, and just right off the bat, I love Zuko's theme. Um, I mean Azula, sorry Azula's theme. Um, the music just really fits her just perfectly. Like you just hear that, and it's got that. That great um, thing. Also, one thing I want to go back to because uh, we got into this whole discussion of of Ang and everything. Um, I actually like really, really love the fact that they put in the scene with Azula lightning bending and her anger about the hair, the, the one hair out of place. Like you can, like you can see that they've already setting up this her need for perfection and how that how that perfection and control is uh, eventually gonna you know obviously lead to her downfall, which was just you know that's that's really great setup early on. Um, but I just think that they they just do such a great job. And then another another thing about setting up uh, Azula's character, like her ability to play Zuko and the uh, when she first talks to him is really great. Like you know she knows exactly what buttons to press. She is truly a great player um, in in this game. If we had like a, a checklist, we could do every single characterization of Azula, and you got manipulative, you got perfectionist. And we just put a little check marks there, and that's why I love this episode so much as an introduction to her. Yeah. So we do get one. We get the scene between Ang uh, and Katara, and first and foremost, as the Katang shipper on the show, I have to scream and squeal like a little girl because uh, Katara did did technically say she loved Ang, which I was like, oh my god, that happened. Ha ha ha. Um, you can but actually, see it for next episode. Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> really? No, but but be, but being serious, just for a sec. Um, I, I, actually, about that scene, I, I do actually like the execution on this scene. I think this is the scene where we do get the moral complexity that we should, because Katara is looking at this and saying, like, I, I see what being in the out of start state puts Aang through. I see the. The, the loss of control and the destruction in his wake, and I can like she can see that this is this is not the right thing for Ang the person, and Ang on the other hand is looking at it and saying, you know, I need to save the world. I'm a hundred years too late. He carries around he's carrying around this guilt, and he's finally like he finally saw a Fire Nation invasion, the the, the Water Tribe almost getting wiped off the face of the earth, and without him, you know, taking on this you know taking on a giant spirit beast. That probably would have happened, and you know, you can kind of see how all this is finally crashing down on Aang. That's like, you need to be the Avatar. You need to end this war. And I think this this scene is is like of all of the Aang stuff. This is the one scene that I think is actually very well executed and captures what this episode should be. I guess I guess I'm just gonna take that. You guys are okay with what I just said, and that's fine. I want I want him to talk first. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I. I said it before, right? I I don't have an issue with, other than the comedic stuff. I don't have an issue with what the general was doing. Just uh, how they portrayed his expression and emotion doing it. Um, because that's serious too, right? We were just talking about it. it's a legitimate decision, and if that's the only option, and this is the only logical way you would think to progress, then maybe it, it is what you try. Um, this is also important because it shows us how the main uh, the main cast is thinking about this decision, and you know it's um, we talked a lot about. Book, in book one about how Aang is constantly dicking around and uh, I think the point Mark just made bears repeating here like the last two episodes of book one and then this one are starting to really show that Aang yeah he's actually going to be like he understands now just how in what state the world is in and how important he is to restoring balance to the physical world not the spiritual one Mm-hmm. Corey? Um, yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Charles on that. Um, Katara makes perfect sense to me um, and her motivations, and I, I, I see the other side of the coin pretty well. Um, so it's, it's really 
nothing much to say. The other side makes perfect sense to me. I actually, funny, I, I know I'm jumping a little bit here, but I really like Sokka, where Sokka was like, yeah, go for it, go for it. And then, you know, Aang has his nightmare, and he wakes Sokka up, and he's just like, groggy, and he's like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. He was like, you know, you're the Avatar. Ah, uh, okay. You know best. You know it's best. Yeah. And uh, I think Sokka showed some real character there, too, showing that, like, he, you know, he was like, I understand, like, do what you think is right for yourself. So, you know, up to that point, I think everything was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get uh, Iroh and Zuko's conversation about whether or not they should they can leave, and the this is also another scene that, that they do really, really well, because you have a great juxtaposition of Iroh and Zuko, and typically Iroh is the optimistic one who's like, look on the bright side, and yet right here you have Zuko who's like, oh my god, I'm going home. He feels like this is like what he's always wanted, and, and, and Iroh is the one who's leery of it and sort of saying like, I don't know if we should should feel this way. You know, maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe we shouldn't go. And eventually, it causes Zuko to lash out. But I just think that you know, like they use our expectations of these two characters really well to convey how they both feel about this just just very quickly. And you can just hear it through their tones, which are so different from the normal Zuko and Iroh relationship. The scene actually kind of upset me a little bit more so like you want to talk about overt and like in your face Zuko's response to Iroh I think was like one of those like in terms of TV tropes where like I'm gonna say something mm-hmm. extreme because you you know you pissed me off and then like as a, like I think what Zuko said went too far and I, I think like especially maybe the beginning of season one it maybe was more in character but at this point I think what he said was just as a means for the viewer to be like gasp and then like for you to like feel bad for Iroh and I, I didn't like it I think they went too far with what he said like you're just an old lazy man and you you you, you were just jealous of your brother like I you know I don't even think Zuko believed what he said to be honest with you do you do you think Zuko got so upset because he was just as doubtful as as Iroh, but just was trying to convince himself. Fair, very fair point. Because um, that's how that's exactly how I took it. Was like he Zuko didn't really believe this either, but he wanted to believe so so bad that he kind of like forced himself to. I took it more that Zuko is just desperate now. He's tired and he wants to go home. And I think he actually it's kind of the opposite where he did believe like not only believe it, he wanted it to be the, like it's his dream come true. And he didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't take a second to think about it. He just wanted it to be. And I, I, I actually see it as the opposite. Mm-hmm. All right. That's fair. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I'm going to lean more towards Corey's, Corey's side in this one because um, we closed book two with two really pertinent scenes between uh, Zuko and Iroh. One on the raft is drifting away. And one before he... Uh, goes off in that solo canoe and swims underwater. Um, we know that they're like definitely more emotionally attached to each other than this would show. Like, it's like how how pissed would you have to be, or how young would you have to be to like do this to someone who's basically a father figure to you, right? Mm-hmm. And. So, and, and especially closer to the end, as he starts to like become less. Oh, you know, my honor. I I'm going to catch the Avatar and go back to the Fire Nation and more like complex as a character. Uh, Zuko ne- started to not strike me as the type of person who would do that. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't know if he's. Co- I don't think he's there yet, though. Like I, I still think he's pretty much the. I'm trying to capture the Avatar and restore my honor, Zuko. Like, I think the, the everything that happens post this episode is, like, really what forces him to change. I mean, but he's... Uh, uh, like, this is so extreme on one side. It's almost like he, it's the first quarter of book one, Zuko. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I do think that you're right 
and to do it to an extent. And I think that if you if you don't take it as the way I the way I do about like Zuko trying to convince himself of this, then I would definitely agree with you. So if if that's how you feel, I I I, I can't say you're wrong because uh, we don't know exactly how Zuko is feeling. I just I look at it at it as Zuko like. He knows Azula always lies. Like that's like that's the exact line. Is Azula always lies? And he like he knows that why would his father welcome him back without the Avatar? And keep in mind, at the end of book three, like or at the beginning of book three, Zuko like questions. I'm like, am I going to be accepted back even though I didn't technically capture the Avatar? Even when we you know when we they took Bossing Say. So I, I kind of feel like in the back of his mind, he knows that this is this is not right. But he's just so. He wants it so bad that he's trying to convince himself. And any and because Iroh tries to put doubt back into his mind, he's like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna lash out." And because I, no way, this is this is what I want to believe. But if you don't see it that way, that's you know that's fine. It's you know, it, 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 I would agree with you that it is annoying in these TV shows when you get that kind of, oh, let's just create a shock value argument. I mean. It's also part of, like, we just talked about how uh, good Azula is at manipulating, not not just Zuko, but people in general, as we'll see later on. She is a people person. <laughs> yeah, you're either on her side or you're a dead person. That's the greatest skill of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a little, a little threatening. Daggers to your family's throats in their sleep. People usually do what you want. It's a pretty strong bargaining chip. But mm-hmm. no, like legitimately, you know, she's a a great emotional manipulator, and it's like uh, I get. I mean, I was just talking about Zuko changing, and it's true that he's changed. Um, I also think that Azul for sure could still knows the buttons to push to make him move more or less how she wants mm-hmm. yeah I think that's true speaking of, of dead people um, how exactly did this bumbling idiot become the captain of Zula's ship wait whoa, whoa, whoa. is he a bumbling idiot like what he, he opens up he's like you know tides are bad we can't dock that's a common thing that happens on ships so not an idiot and he, are we talking about when he blurts out the prisoners? Yes, when he no, blurts out about the I'm, prisoners. I don't blame him for it. I blame, I think that's lazy right there. That's where I'm actually pretty angry. Like I think that's like one of those circumstantial like whoops. No, that that's what I mean. Like it, it, it felt like either this guy's a moron or there's no reason for that to have been the reason that they got found out. Um, I, okay. By episodes logic, the guy's a moron. But um, I think it's one of those really easy ways to write yourself into, like it, it, like you know what I would have liked, and I would have liked this to span over multiple episodes where they get on the ship, and the closer they get to the Fire Nation, they realize that something's wrong, and they like find out overtly. Maybe like there are guys playing poker in the basement, and you know. I, someone overhears them. Or maybe Iroh hears it, and he tries to convince Zuko, and Zuko doesn't believe it. And you could just span it over a few episodes, and then they go overboard, and they just run away. Like, that would have been cool, too. But I think this was very lazy. Mm-hmm. Given the pacing yeah. of this book, I don't know if a few episodes would have... Yeah, that would have been, been difficult, but... Um, yes. But that aside, I actually think you could have done it more reasonably in this episode if they had written it differently written that episode with less of a focus on uh, or less of a balance of time between uh, Aang and or group Aang and uh, group Avatar and uh, Iroh and Zuko because we were talking about the comedic section in the middle or pseudo comedic section in the middle um, if you shifted that um, time slot and like some other things over to this you could easily have done that scene that Corey you just described with you know oh some of the lore you know recruits in the basement just you know like at night drinking and making random conversation and getting overheard that's definitely something you could have slipped in if you budgeted time a little bit differently between the two stories very true Mm -hmm. yeah I, I, I agree with that 
Uh, that being said, as, as soon as he does find out, we get a little bit of epic Iro time. Um, Iro is is, is quite uh, quite good at this in this fight. Um, and we do get the we do get the cross cutting between the two fights, and I, I like the way they handle the, the cross cutting. Um, that being said, and we talked a lot about um, the general, but I also think just in general the fight between the um, Earth Army and Aang is a little generic. Um, it's kind of it's kind of just like standard earth bending and spears attacking airbender like it doesn't it doesn't have all that much like cool character to it um but the um the fight on the iro and zuko side is actually like really quite good um you can see just how much better azula is than zuko it is kind of funny how like you can tell she's just trying to kind of taunt him a little bit and prove just like nope you you suck and then I'm going to shoot the lightning at you to try and finish it off, but, but obviously Iroh gets in the way of that. And then we see the first example of epic lightning redirecting. Nope, second. Yeah, he does it on the ship. He does it on oh. the ship in the uh, very beginning. Very. Or in the uh, storm. He messes it up too there, which is kind of... But you know yes. what I like too? This establishes, in my opinion, I'm not, maybe you guys would disagree with me, I like you could always just argue that Azula... And to an extent, she is the only lightning bender that you see. Um, but I think that... No. Up to this point. Up to this point, yeah. Um, okay. So I like how this kind of establishes to the viewer that lightning bending is an advanced art of fire bending that you can actually train to defend yourself against. Um, I actually like that because in lore, that means that you can find the most powerful benders as being also lightning benders. And it's not just like a one-time cool thing for Azula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is cool that how Iroh actually invented the technique with studying waterbending. Yeah. God damn it. Iroh, please. Oh. <laughs> uh, the Avatar world, if Iroh decided instead of get backing off of bossing and say to honor Wu Ten and take the city anyway. Uh, there would have been some, some pretty drastic differences. <laughs> really? Ang wakes up. Yeah. There, there's just the Fire Nation. There, there, there's, there's nothing left. It's over. It's the Fire Nation and like the swamp. <laughs> yeah, the swamp people. Uh. Um. Uh, one one final note on the um, the fight between Aang and the Earth Earthbenders. Once he goes into the Irish state, sorry, state, it's also interesting that they call back to this in the Guru, where Aang actually like talk in his like regretful scene is talking about hurting the people in this scene. It's just interesting that like Aang, like th- this is a moment that Aang like deeply regrets, like being forced into the Avatar state and attacking soldiers. It's just kind of interesting talking about Aang's character. He's a pacifist. So, yes, he is. Um, So we get the... No, no, go ahead, Charles. It's just part of it, right? Because um, we talked about... uh, We talked about unintentional or intentionally the scene on the mountain uh, where he's just flipping tanks and people off of cliffs and dropping avalanches on narrow edges and things like that. So I I think it's less... Obviously, he is a pacifist, we know that for sure, but I think it's also a part of that he sees that these people aren't doing anything wrong and he was forced to hurt, made to hurt them anyway. Like, they weren't his enemies, they weren't, like, you know, when he was conscious and trying to do it, he was just dodging them. For the most part. So it's like, they weren't his enemies, he, he wasn't really trying to, you know, do anything to them. But he was forced into a state where he could not restrain himself, or, you know, the Avatar state, and so he did mm-hmm. hurt them. And that's like, I guess it's different from intentionally harming your opponents or enemies versus unintentionally harming people who are neutral or being optimistic allies. I guess you'd mm-hmm. call them allies, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So. And I, I think it's not just like, oh, I hurt people while in this, because do we know how many people spirit, monster, avid, I mean, Aang killed in fucking the finale? Probably a lot. Yeah, so... Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I just it was interesting to me. Like I, I for I, I kind of just I remembered that in the moment of like, oh yeah, he actually like says that like uh, when he like when the guru says lay all your guilt out in front of you, and he's like, I hurt all those people, and it flashes back to this scene. It was just it's fun, kind of interesting about call, like doing that callback. Um, so we go into the the pure exposition with with Roku uh, explaining the avatar state. Um, I mean, it's a pretty needed scene. Um, you know, just kind of lets. In this case, kind of very Deus Ex Machina, not in in the sense of like, all right, let's just have someone turn to the character, turn to the audience, and explain something, uh, which is basically what this is. Um, I know Corey hinted at it a little bit at the beginning. Uh, I think it's fine. I, I think the Avatar state in general in in Last Airbender is handled relatively well. I think that it they understand how to work with it within Aang's like personality, where we we know that Aang for someone who doesn't want to lose control and doesn't want to. Uh, hurt people, and this, you know, the Avatar State very much is that. Um, so I, I, I think that that, that works well. Um, I do kind of have to ask the question of, like, why is this not something that is told to the Avatar, like, pretty early on? Like, I feel like this is pretty important information, but... Maybe it is. You know. Would we know? Aang kind of... Aang kind of dipped on that, um... Yeah. That training of his, so... Who knows? Maybe it is the first... Sorry, that that shouldn't be funny, but who knows? We don't know uh, until Korra, yeah. but she's also like different, right? Um, well, for for Korra, she can't. She takes her a, a while to go into the Avatar state. Yeah, well, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, she doesn't uh, yeah. need. Well, it doesn't happen to her for a long time. Whereas for Aang, he just didn't get taught about being the Avatar much at all. So yeah. Like to really know, and you'd have to like get uh, see other avatars. Yeah, non non one backstory. <laughs> yeah, and we, we we do we do eventually know what the avatar state itself is in terms of you know it's the manifestation of Rava's energy, um, which is which is fine. I, I I can accept the avatar state as a as it is. Do you think that's a disservice? What? Um, oh god, this this is uh, from Korra season two, the Rava yep. and Vasu thing. Do yep. you Rava? <laughs> Sorry, that's my best Vato. <laughs> I mean, that's the only part of that book that I find entertaining. Is just anytime Vatu gets on the screen and just like calls out Rava. Do you think the Avatar state is better before you have that information? As like as a concept, do you do you think that um, made it better or worse? Our our knowledge of that. I, uh, I think it leaves it the same. Like I, I'll say this: it's not midi chlorians. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. Those micro. <laughs> Organisms that uh, generate the force. I, it's not that. That is genuinely like just bad in terms of let's you know it re-explain something. I I don't necess- I don't think it's. I certainly don't think it's that. I understand what your point is, but I don't. I don't have a problem with it. I think it it actually makes some degree of sense. Like it's just this power the avatar can use because the avatar we find out has a giant light spirit inside of them. All right, that's, that's fair enough. Corey, your thoughts? If revealing the first Avatar ruins it, or are you talking about just what? No, j- j- yeah. yeah. Well, that or just your thoughts on the Avatar state in general. Um, I asked, or so it's funny. This scene. It, Cor- I, if there was I, no... I guess the two options are like, do you think it's better as uh, it's the manifestation of Rava, the light spirit, or the embodiment of light in the world? Or a, uh, I'm, you know, I'm hearkening back to my past incarnations and asking them, or some of them, one of them, for help in my direst time. I like the, I, I like the first option more, just as myself. But the reason I don't mind the second option, the way it was introduced, is because with the light spirit, they also introduce a dark spirit, meaning there's a dark avatar, and I think that's a really cool concept to think about. Um, so, 
I think with the dark spirit being the balance, the counterbalance of the light spirit, it works the second way. But if I really had to put my own preference, I think the first way, where you are a reincarnated avatar. Reincarnation for an avatar means that you can tap into your old powers and and former, you know, uh, you know, a pool of power from all your pre pre previous lives. But it's funny because the way Korra ended, you you know that chain gets destroyed. So if it was the first option, there'd be no avatar state anymore. Not ended. It it happened in in book two, but yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's fine. God, just talking about this. God, book two could have been. There are so many interesting things I could have done, but whatever. Um. All right, so we're gonna wrap this. Wrap. We get to the end of this episode. Um. I, we already talked about the ending with with the gang. Um, I don't like it, but you know, whatever. Um, but I do think that the ending with Zuko and Iroh is is very powerful, and and using the the hair as such a fantastic metaphor for them, sort of leaving their old lives behind, and like just how how much visually the hair works with with the Fire Nation as a whole. We saw it during the. Uh, deserter episode and we, we see it again here and we'll continue to see it with Zuko throughout this episode and and all of this stuff I just I think that that there's just such a great symbolic nature of of them sort of cutting off this this kind of royal fire nation symbol on their head and and that's that's it yeah I liked it too that was a very powerful scene visually it looked really good um, uh, but if, then uh, if we're gonna talk about the ultimate ending, you're right. I thought what you said earlier was it's it's just stupid how, you know, Sokka just knocked them out, and you know they were like, oh, oh, oh okay then, that's that's that. Um, so you got again, it's funny. I I think the Azula side and the Fire Nation side in this episode was done flawlessly. And if you it's if you just made an episode about that and pulled out the the whole Avatar State thing, you'd have a, I think probably like a ten episode, but. You know the 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 the, uh, the team avatar side. It was a mixed bag. Yep, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And that that'll that's a, that's a good transition into our into our final thoughts. Um, so Charles, why don't you go ahead? Uh, final thoughts and your rating. Um, we're getting back into regular episodes, so it's just going to be our normal one uh, zero to ten, five being average, ten being amazing. How will you rate this episode and your final thoughts? <sighs> um. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll agree with Corey. I, I think I was kind of, uh, I, I came off as kind of harder on the Team Avatar's side of this episode uh, than I actually meant to be in the opening statements. Um, I don't like it, but that's not to say that compared to television, it is in any way, like, bad. It is for sure at least average compared to television. And then the um, and then the part the Iro, uh, Zuko, and Azula uh, half is, uh, in my opinion, phenomenal. Other than like one small thing with the captain, but that's like a time thing, not a you know quality of uh, scene thing. So if I gave that side like a nine eight and team avatar side like uh seven and a half that averages out to like a eight point seven i think they're about mm -hmm. uh, i'll say 8.8 .8. uh, this episode's fine overall it it introduces things it needs to introduce uh mark you said at the beginning it is almost the reverse of filler it's very expositional it does do a lot of like introduce a lot of things but on the app team avatar side it's like a little heavy-handed i would argue a little overt on the uh fire nation royalty side which is now what i'm gonna have to think of a different name for that next episode but on uh, that side it's less so and just like the the, the azul just like makes that part of the episode so uh, yeah, I'll go with an easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Corey? Corey. Um, I'll make it very quick, because if I don't, I'll just repeat myself from throughout the episode. The Fire Nation side to me was a 9.5. The only thing that really took it away from me was the ultimate ending, where the captain was stupid, and it kind of, like, 
ruined a little bit of it for me, but it's fine. It's not too much. It's so brought it down 0.5 points for that. Azula had a flawless introduction, absolutely flawless. You 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 saw every side of Azula you needed to see uh, in one episode, and she had some of the best already. As you said, the first line in the dialogue for that she had was some of the best she's had. Um, Team Avatar side, I'd probably give it a seven. I, I see your points that they the writers clearly did pick a side, um, and then the ending was silly with the the, hit the 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 general just getting knocked out with the men with no retaliation, um, but ultimately I I, I I like the themes that they were going for with it and it, it worked out for me. So when you I average the two together, I I, I get an eight point five. All right. Um. I'm a little bit lower, but in general, the same sort of calculus. I think that the first, uh, or I think that the gang side of the episode is relatively weak, um, maybe more, maybe a little bit lower than you guys, um, and the stuff with Azula is absolutely phenomenal. So I think it averages out to maybe a 7.5, uh, which is still good, you know, still still very good, um, and I think that the the Azula side is, is really quite spectacular. Um, I just I just have problems with with the way they handle the Ang side of this, and I think that there's there's some things about this episode that could have been truly spectacular and just really begin to fall flat. Um, but what are you gonna do? It's still uh, like you say it's still a good good episode. So with that, we're gonna finish off finish this off. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. This has been thoughts from Aunt Wu. Uh, we will be back next week with Cave of Two Lovers, which is. <laughs> One of a uh, very fan favorite episode, although from Charles' reaction, sounds like maybe it's not. It's no, um, the episode is fine, but oh man, God, you, you're gonna I, run the shipping in, aren't you? I promise you, I'm gonna be shipping like crazy, and all you're gonna hear from Lindsay during the entire episode is just going secret tunnel. It's just over. Oh, that that was this weekend. I was with Lindsay. <laughs> And we were talking about how we were coming on this episode. And just anytime I mention it, just immediately singing the song. Um, so look forward to that. It should be a lot of fun. And then we've got some really cool uh, episodes coming up in, in once we get into the, the real meat of book two. So I'm really excited for that. Thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Thanks to Corey and Charles for being on the panel. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at AuntWu underscore pod. That's twitter.com slash AuntWu underscore pod. You can follow me on Twitter that that stack underscore mode, S-T-A-C underscore mode. I tweet about lots of fun esports and StarCraft-related things as well as some Avatar stuff. Um, so you can check that out. Um, congratulations to our member, our uh, podcast member, Corey, on making Legend in Hearthstone last season. Thank you. Um, very very big accomplishment for him um so that's cool um we also might have some heart some hearthstone content for you guys um especially with kalamos our resident ang uh the elemental lord of shaman so all right thank you guys for tuning in